The EC Podcast exists to equip believers to make disciples and love others for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm your host for today, Pastor Jonathan Mitchell. Today we continue listening to our series called Culture and the Gospel, which is a study from our midweek teachings here at Eden Chapel. On this episode today, you will hear Pastor Aaron teach on apologetics. We take seriously here when the Word of God tells us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. So Pastor Aaron will talk about the importance of defending the faith, not only in the content in which we defend, but also in the style and the way that we defend our faith. We pray and trust that this lesson will edify you. So give it a listen and put into practice the things that you hear. Enjoy. You may be seated. Thank you all for leading us tonight. Well, welcome to our third night of the Culture in the Gospel series. Um, So far, we've covered sexuality and race. And so for me, my assignment tonight to talk to you about is apologetics. Now, a lot of things may come to your mind when you hear apologetics. Um, Probably this is going to be crazy boring. Maybe the first thing. I hope not. Um, But honestly, I pray that I don't do a disservice to this topic because it's honestly one of my favorites that there is in the entire world. Um, I love watching and listening to debates. Um, My wife makes fun of me all the time telling me I'm a nerd because I listen to debates all the time. But the way I see it, um, I'm absolutely fine with that because whenever it comes to the things of God, we can never be too sharpened. And so we don't need to be afraid of any challenges that unbelievers bring. And so my hope is tonight that you are equipped, even though our time is super brief and we're going to have to go through a lot of um, terminology and topics that I cannot do justice to. I pray that you'll bear with me and God will still bless our time. So if we could, would you join me and let's pray. Uh, for exactly that, for God to bless our time together tonight. Adam, would you pray for us? Amen. So actually, one of your, your one thing for homework, I don't know if we've given you homework yet, but on the EC page, I want to post tonight one of my favorite debates that you must watch, okay? That is your only homework. And if you get hooked like me, just ask me, and I got the goods. I'll, I'll feed you more <laughs> of the good stuff, I promise. So, so let's ask the question right away. What is apologetics? Tracy, you're not allowed to answer. No, I'm just kidding. What what is apologetics? What's that? Defense of the faith. That's good. That's right. Any anything else? Any other things come to mind? Yes, ma'am. Defending the faith. Very consistent on both sides of the room. Praise the Lord. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
Amen. That's good. That's right. Shows humility. Shows humility. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you must have humility, or it doesn't matter what you say; no one's going to hear you, right? Anything else? Those those are all good answers. Um, I know when I first heard the term apologetics, I thought, "Are we apologizing for believing in God?" You know, I'm I'm not going to apologize. I got all stiff necked, you know, and it was just dumb, right? I was way off. Uh, that's not what it means at all. I was looking at um, many definitions, and I, I, I was happier with what you guys gave. My, my definition that I'm going to be working on tonight is apologetics is a reasoned defense of the truth of Christianity. And so why does it matter? Why does, why does apologetics matter in the first place? Now, I'm not saying this simply for theater or to bring drama into our time tonight. But, but I'm saying this because I truly mean it. Even if I'm wrong, I mean this. I do not believe that we have experienced more enemies rising up against the gospel, uh, who God is, and the truth of the scriptures, more so than we have today. This is why that this matters. This is why you must understand why you believe what you believe. So there are people out there who will tell you when you talk about, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have faith in Jesus Christ. One of the most common, and I'm sure many of you have either heard it or it's been said to you, the common rebuttal is, well, I believe in what? Science and reason. Right? Have you ever heard that before? Four of you shook your head. Praise God. The rest of you need to get out of your house, okay? (laughs) So let's have a little fun with that. Let's think about that. Someone who says, and so let's make it, let's make it fun. People who believe science can account for everything are actually putting their faith in something that cannot account for everything. Let me, let me give you a few things that science cannot account for. Science cannot prove logic or mathematical truths. In fact, it presupposes them. Science uses them, is dependent on them, but you can't prove logic in a beaker in someone's lab. You can use it, but it comes from outside of science. Science cannot prove that any other mind exists rather than your own in this place right now. Or, that our universe was created, not created, about five minutes ago, and it doesn't have the appearance of age. Science presupposes that the past is just like it is today, and it will be so in the future. Morality is a problem. We're going to get into that in a minute. But science cannot prove morality. Science cannot prove what is good and lovely. You can't prove that in a lab. And finally, and probably most interestingly, science cannot prove science. Science presupposes certain truths, and it uses those to come to conclusions. Think about this. The speed of light has always been said to go the same speed. It's traveling the same speed. But do we know that? No, we just suppose it. 
We have no idea if the speed is, of light has changed or when it began exactly. But science presupposes those things. So right there is just what? About four or five things that science cannot account for and naturalism cannot account for. So I'm not, I'm not trying to overwhelm you with simple terms, but I want you to understand when people come to you from an arrogant point of view, you have no reason to back down, my friends. Be someone, because someone has a PhD beside their name or, or they're uh, an expert in a certain field, that does not mean that you have no ground to stand on no matter what room you find yourself in. In other words, my prayer is that tonight brings you boldness. Boldness that I pray you've never had before. So let's get into this. Why does apologetics matter? Well, for one reason, it's depressing to me, and I know G, and I would imagine Johnny as well, as pastors, when I hear someone say, well, I don't know why it really matters. I just love Jesus. Like, if you, ex if you just hate us, please say that a lot. Because think about this. What you know of Jesus, does it make you want to worship him? Well, let's hope so. Right? The yes is the answer, right? If you don't, come to the Lord, all right? Um, got it? But would you not understand and think that it logically follows that the more you know about Jesus, the deeper your relationship with him would be, right? So what do we want to know? We don't want to run from things because we're afraid of them, because someone's a smart aleck or put someone in their place or really got owned one time, and we don't want to fall into that. Let me tell you, again, you have no place to be ashamed in Jesus Christ. Apologetics matter. And this is my big gun for you. The reason why apologetics matter is because the Bible says so. If not, it really doesn't matter at all what I say at all tonight. Look with me at the quintessential text that's used when people are speaking about apologetics, and that is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to take a little more. We're going to do verses 13 through 15. Look at what the scripture says here. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Good question, right? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. It's like you said, Jamie. We aren't to fear. What we are to do is be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. My friend, do you have hope within you tonight? That's where we must begin. None of this will make sense. None of this will, will forward you in your faith or in the defense of the faith if you are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ right now. If you don't know him as your savior, this is not going to work. We first begin by repenting and believing and following Jesus Christ. So, what we must be ready to do is defend the truths of scripture and give an idea 
give an apologia, as the scripture says, an apology for the reason for the hope that lies within us. So, so let me tell you something. You do not have to, and I mean this, you do not have to have a degree in microbiology. You don't have to be an astrophysicist. You don't have to be some sort of doctor to be able to defend your faith. What I want to argue tonight is you must simply know your Bible. You must simply know the book. So before I tell you the mode or style that Johnny and I prefer, I'm not positive. I didn't get to ask you, G, so we'll grill him afterwards what his favorite is. So make sure everyone asks him that. Um, now, there are a few different styles or approaches to apologetics. And now listen, we can't break each one down, and if I do a disservice to your favorite, I apologize. That's not what I mean to do. We have just like 10 minutes, okay? So a little grace I appreciate would go a long way, all right? So there's mainly three perspectives out there that people use to defend the faith, all right? First one is this, evidential apologetics. Evidential apologetics. Evidentialists believe that I can simply give you enough evidence and that will lead you into an understanding and a belief in Jesus Christ. And now listen, are we going to not say, there, there are many good proofs for God. We see them everywhere. The Bible tells us that it's undeniable. But what do we think of? When we think of the beginning of our universe, what do we say? We say that the opposition would tell us that everything came from nothing. That's foolishness. Right? That's just one. But that's foolishness. From the goo to you. Right? Doesn't really work. But yet we back down when we hear people come with that. That's nonsense. All right? So a famous classical, or I'm sorry, a famous evidential apologist would be William Lane Craig. Um, many of you maybe have heard of him. The next, so evidentialism. The second method is known as classical apologetics. Classical apologetics. A classical apologist will believe in evidence, but he also believes in using reason. And what do I mean by that? They, mean, they believe that because all of us were made in the image of God, that you can reason to someone and that image of God comes out and you can lead them to Jesus in that way, okay? A famous classical apologist would be R.C. Sproul, okay? Many of us know who he is. If not, you do need to repent, okay? The last method we want to look at tonight is known as presuppositional apologetics. A presuppositionalist, yeah, God bless me, I know, just write it down, you can figure it out later. A presuppositionalist would say this, you can't even begin to think without God. If you don't begin with God, you will always end up in the wrong place. Okay? You're not going to get to the right area if you don't know God at the beginning. And so a famous presuppositionalist would be Dr. James White. Now, I don't believe you're in sin if you prefer one of these methods over the other. Okay? But I most definitely do believe one honors God more than the other two. And so, 
Of course, um, because I gave it last, I probably tipped my hand, but the presuppositional method is the method that I prefer. And so why would you, why pastor, do you prefer this method? Well, I can give you many reasons, but the main reason is Jesus Christ is Lord. That's it. I believe that if you do not begin with God, like we just said, you will never get to the right conclusion. What I worry about in classical apologetics and what I worry about in evidential apologetics is that we're trying to convince people of something that does not bring them to life. If you and I fight with facts all night long, we're never going to get anywhere if there's no gospel. Now, I'm not saying those people can't use the gospel, but what I'm saying is, in the presuppositional belief, the gospel is central. We are presupposing the truth of the scriptures and the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me give you one of the texts that is common to explain this belief, and that's Matthew 28, of course, the Great Commission, uh, verses 18 through 20. You all still with me? Lie if you're not, because I need you to be with me tonight, all right? Actually, don't lie. That's not good, but you know what I'm saying. Hang in there with me. And Jesus said, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't forget that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them nations, and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. That does not mean that Jesus is waiting for authority. With all due respect for any sort of end times view or eschatology that you have, Jesus is not pacing heaven, waiting for things to go down. He is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning as we speak. All authority is His. That's what He purchased when He rose from the grave. Okay? So because God's Word is true, I believe Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You are reduced to foolishness if you do not begin with God. We get into all kinds of whacked out ideas that do not make sense in reality. We must begin with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So being presuppositional does not mean, again, that we're opposed to any sort of evidence. It just simply means that all evidence must be put under the lens of Scripture before we will accept it. So some who would say, well, then maybe that method is circular because you don't believe with your, or you don't begin, excuse me, with what you're trying to prove. But God is not limited to a fact that we're trying to prove. God is literally the foundation we use to go off into all that we believe. So I would argue, without the Bible... And the explanation that Scripture gives us of our world, we couldn't even do math. Have you ever thought of that? Some people are like, that'd be fine if it wasn't around. We couldn't even do math. Why do, what do you mean that? What do you mean by that? You, why are you saying that, Pastor? 
Because we know that the world has order. If we were in a simple, or if we were just simply a cosmic mistake, how would we know that two and two would add to four the next day? How would we know, would not know that the properties would change? In a random universe, that would be definitely possible, would it not? Because it has to be random. But do we see randomness or do we see order? How could we ever fly planes? Or shoot off rockets into the sky? You know all the mathematical equations that go into that? Do you know the reason why we can do those mathematical equations and send planes up or, or take all of these figures and, and have safe landings on planets and sending satellites out? It's because there is one holding it together. We're not worried about gravity not, not existing in one part of the room, right? Because God is who he says he is. And his scriptures are true. Without God, we could not have logic or reason. If you're simply a bag of fizzing chemicals or just an animal, you're just acting on instinct. We, oh, well, we guess it comes from billions of years of evolution, but that doesn't answer anything. That's why you see people who believe in evolution asking for all this time, because they need it. We do not. We can make sense of logic and reason because we are all created in the image of God. Therefore, we are logical beings. And this is why we think like we do and the way the universe works like it does. Do, so do you see that the unbeliever must borrow from our worldview to prop up his to make it work? And what you and I are to do, we get the beautiful tasks of when we see them borrowing from our worldview saying, hey, that's mine. You don't get to take that. What does Romans 1 say? All men have sufficient knowledge of God and they suppress that knowledge in unrighteousness. So what our job is, and we, we've given this example before, is it's kind of like the idea of, have you ever been in a pool and like laid on a beach ball? Well, you've never lived if you haven't, okay? So I suggest you try it. Um, but you're trying to hold it, and what is it doing? Even if you're fluffy, right? It's still pushing up on you. You know what I'm saying? Okay, thank you. But, right, it's still pushing up on you. It's hard to hold it down. Easier for some of us, but, right, it's hard to hold it down. And this is the idea of the unbeliever. They do not want to answer to a holy and just God. They do not want to believe all that we see around us, that creation just screams to us. So what is our job? Our job is to poke them in the arms until they let the ball go. Another big reason that helped me fall into presuppositional camp was the fact that this way lines up with the way I believe Scripture teaches salvation. Listen, I've, I understand why most people fall into the evidentialist camp because most people believe that all I have to do is talk, to, talk someone into believing in Jesus. I understand why this is probably the most, most popular view. I also understand where classical apologists think that a person is made in the image of God, I can just reason with them, and then they will follow God. 
But my friends, let me ask you this. Does the Bible say, my sheep will hear my really good argument? Does it say my sheep will understand the reason you give them? No, it says the sheep will hear my voice, doesn't it? What kind of argument does a dead man need to come to life? There isn't one. You'll never argue someone into the kingdom. Our apologetic must always come in partnership with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is what brings people to life. This is why we have confidence on his authority, on, the, on our God's authority. God brings his children to life by sovereign grace when the gospel is faithfully preached. So we begin with the presupposition that God exists because this is the way that he's revealed himself through Scripture, and this is the only way our universe can make any sense, or we can have any value or dignity or worth. I mean, I know this is a lot, but I pray, I pray that some of it is hitting home. Because I do believe, and I pray that you're starting to say, you can be confident anywhere you stand. So what I want to leave you with, because I've went way too long, I apologize. That's my apologetic. Um, I do want to leave you with one, one what I believe is a bulletproof proof of the existence of God that I've never heard an unbeliever give a good example for. They've talked their way around it, run out of it, but I've never heard them explain it, and this is this. You cannot have morality without God. The argument from morality is one of the strongest arguments for the existence of our God. If you are simply, again, if you evolve from a fish to a philosopher, right? If we are just matter and motion, morality would not exist. It couldn't exist. And you say, well, people will say, well, what about relativism? What's, what's right for Dustin is right for Dustin. And, and what's right for Chase is what's right for Chase. The problem is no one lives that way. R.C. Sproul gave a good example of this. I'll borrow from him, even though we're not exactly in agreement here. But he said, if someone believes in relativism and what's right for you is right for you and what's right for them is right for them, go and steal their wallet. (laughs) It also works in this idea as well. And I know you've heard it and you've probably thought it yourself. If God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? Our first question is this. When an unbeliever asks that question, our first question is this. Oh, so you believe in good and evil. So in light of your worldview, how do you explain good and evil based upon the fact that we are simply a cosmic accident? I can answer that question. My scriptures tell me why we have it. But you, my friend, have no answer. Our worldview explains everything that we've covered tonight and more. 
But our goal is not simply to crush people in arguments. Our goal in the ending, once we knock and we unlodge the unbeliever from their worldview, as we stated earlier, we must be ready to come in with the gospel. Our hope is not to make someone who's a jerk atheist look bad. Our hope is that God would use our meager efforts to bring them into the kingdom. That's our hope. Don't forget your homework. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today on the EC Podcast. If you do not have a church family, you can join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. If you are outside the area, we pray that you find a Bible-believing church for fellowship and worship. Until next time, God bless.